You're listening to Compassion Radio. Welcome to the newsroom for the Kingdom of God. We're here to bring you the latest from the front lines of faith. Thanks for tuning our way today. Yesterday we began a report from John Podiati, president of Bibles for the World, and currently neck deep in the fiercest persecution against Christians in the world today, the Indian state of Manipur. If you didn't catch yesterday's broadcast, please get caught up with the podcast replay at CompassionRadio.com. We'll jump back in today where we left off, discussing why Manipur and the Christian community there are suddenly the world nexus for this faith that we share. Now they can chase you out. They haven't just dented the kingdom nearby them. They know that they are going to kill off the potential for worldwide evangelism because of how much your one tribe and your people and now the organization Bibles for the World have been committed to bringing literally the Bible to the world. You have an outsized influence because of your commitment to that mission. Your churches, every single one of them, are involved with sending the Word of God to the world. And that's an amazing thing to think about all the churches in a congregation and a denomination and the culture saying together, we have a responsibility, not just to our own people, but to the world out there. Because God gave us the gospel, we are commanded to give it to others. That's your ethic. And that's why I've admired it so much, because everywhere you go, you're another tribal person speaking to other tribal people saying, I know where you come from. We're like you. Mm-hmm. We're not some Western imperial culture like America bringing this particular thing to you and saying you must read this, understand it, and obey it. Mm-hmm. We're saying this is how it has transformed us. Exactly. I don't want to see the forces of evil arrayed against that in such a way that doesn't just harm you, but cuts off the future of the Great Commission. I think there's a big long-term battle at play here. So as you look at your current situation, as you are still committed to fulfilling your obligations to other churches around the world, how do you want us praying for you? And what are the kind of things that God lays on your heart every day that you think, if people in America could just pray with me about these things, we could see some real breakthroughs? Well, Bram, you really hit on the head because I even was sharing it last night on a Zoom call with a number of the leaders over in India, as well as some of the diaspora over here, you know, that we got to remember, we need to remember, we are fighting a battle, not a flesh and blood. There are all of those forces, those spiritual forces, whether it be atheism, Hinduism, their own animistic religion, Sanamahi, we're finding that our pastors among these people and workers there are being told that they must convert back, but not to Hinduism, mm. but to that animistic religion. So mm. that's an interesting dynamic here that's going on, this resurgence of their animism. And, you know, this people group, the Métis, had adopted Hinduism about 300 years ago en masse. The Maharaja had just declared, we're all going to become Hindus and we're all going to be Brahmins. Mm-hmm. So they're all going to be at the top end of the scale. Because they say so. Of the caste system, yeah. yeah, because he declared it. And, okay, we'll have our token outcasts over here. And then we have all the tribals around us who are also outside the caste system. So it's been one of the hardest groups to evangelize because our early pastors and missionaries to them, they couldn't even go inside their house. They had to stand outside the door and try to share the gospel with them. Because if they were unclean. Yes, because they were tribals, they were unclean. And so it was a burden for my grandfather. Even as he was taking the gospel to so many different people groups, this was one he could not penetrate. It was one that my father and, and my uncle, as I mentioned, shared this burden My uncle worked among them for 35 years and slowly developed solid work there that we planted 17 churches. 
But now, in this destruction in the last two months, we've lost 11 of those have been totally destroyed, uh, looted, and then burned. Some of them have actually been pulled down with bulldozers or backhoes. And so out of the 13 churches that we've lost personally, our own denomination, 11 were among the Métis. And this has been the confusing thing because at first we thought, okay, it's a Métis against the tribals, mm-hmm. tribal Christians. And they started attacking the churches. So it was a socio-political sort of a struggle that took its expression against religious, against the churches. But then we started to hear reports about they're, they're attacking their own Métis Christians. Mm-hmm. So wait, is this a tribal versus non-tribal thing? Or is this Hindu versus Christian? And then we heard about the reconversion pressure to go to that other religion. So it's been very difficult to really get a handle on what's going on there. But as we see it, as I mentioned before, we just see this whole thing orchestrated. It's really an ethnic cleansing. There's nothing more you can say about that, which includes everything from culture, religion, land, property, everything. It's just like wipe them all out. I've described a number of times when people ask me, what's it really like to be with Christians in other countries? I say, it's not just about Christians that you think about. Go to a church somewhere or member of a Methodist church or they're part of a, a state church or something in countries. We're talking about the kingdom of God here. These are people that when you and I walk into a room with people we've never met before, there is a camaraderie that the Holy Spirit brings when you're in that room together where you just know within minutes you're amongst brothers and sisters. And not only is it encouraging to you to know that God's doing things here, you're not going to try to start something new. You're going here to find out what God's already up to. Mm -hmm. And you sit with them and they lead you into worship as God has given them the privilege and authority to lead people in their country. They lead us into the throne of God because God's there with them. So there's no doubt in my mind that this kind of persecution is not just socioeconomic or even cultural. It is something about this family, this kingdom of God is a people. Mm -hmm. It is a unique people. It is a people out of many. It is probably the best example on this planet of what we say in our own currency, e pluribus unum, here in America. Out of many, one kingdom. Mm -hmm. This is truly the ultimate of that pledge, that you can create one thing out of many if you have one at the center. And that we've seen that everywhere we've gone together, and you've seen it in far more countries than I have. I'm praying that that center for your people and the Métis that have followed Christ we'll be able to find that way back to the throne room together again Mm -hmm. and that they can share at the table of peace. They can have communion together again somehow. Mm -hmm. That's my prayer. That's interesting, Bram, because just literally yesterday in church as the pastor is preaching, he was sharing that each of you has something that you're holding back from doing. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about Moses and, you know, saying that I'm not a good speaker. I'm not this. I'm not that. So, you know, can you send somebody else? And it really, really just was revealed to me that that's what I've been not doing through all this. I've been asking for prayer. We've been collecting funds for relief. We've been working out all these channels. But I have not been giving my focus to the part of the body of Christ, the Métis people, who are caught in the middle of this. And so the last 36 hours, I've been focused on trying to understand their situation a lot. I mean, in this time, there is, among us tribals, there's so much anti-Métis sentiment. We just have not even thought about our own Métis Christian brothers and sisters and try to really understand how they're caught in the middle of this conflict. The things that are coming out that we're hearing, 
first that their churches were destroyed, that they've been herded into displaced persons camps, and that even within there they're being persecuted. But then after that, it's kind of like, okay, at least they're in the camps, they're fine. But, you know, have we really been reaching out? Have we been trying to hear from them? Are we understanding the additional pressures they must be facing? And have we tried to get relief into them? We've kind of said, well, they're in the valley. The Métis will take care of them. They'll take care of their own. But this is something so, like I said, last 36 hours, I've just been really, really um, digging deep into this, trying to understand their situation and, and what we can do. Because it is part of our body, the body of Christ. And this is one part that is hurting even more than we are right now. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. Which, yeah, even even with all the gruesome things, all the atrocities that we've experienced, to realize that, no, they're, they're even worse because they're getting hit from both sides, yeah. from all sides. We've talked before about the people in the Middle East you've been able to reach out to, that God's opened doors for you to reach into all of the cultures of the Middle East in some way or another. Because the gospel, when it takes root in these cultures, they become the enemy of everybody. Mm-hmm. So you've seen that as a third culture person coming in there. And now it's happening in your midst. Your humility, John, leads us in this. Um, it's happened across Africa. It's happened across Asia, even in the Americas, where those who are in the oppressing group. And now it's happening in the middle of Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Ukrainian believers have had to take on the burden of caring for the orphans of Russian soldiers and for the churches that are under pressure to go completely Russian nationalist Mm. and subscribe their primary allegiance to Putin and to the war machine rather than to Jesus Christ. They're under extraordinary pressure, and they're easily forgotten because they're behind that wall. We can't see them anymore. And yet we know the kingdom of God is alive, still ticking, maybe losing strength quickly, but they're still there. So I agree with you that as hard as that may be, our calling as a body of believers around the world is to be lifting up all the believers, no matter how removed from us they may be, no matter how isolated they may be, no matter how deluded they may be, where they are, they're still God's children. That God would bring peace there and bring peace here so we can have peace everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my prayer. And even when there's not worldly peace, that there would be peace amongst the brethren. Especially when they're on the other side of the cultural fence, on the other side of the political fence. But just that, you know, realization that, no, that's part of the body of Christ that I'm a part of. They're a part of, too. And if they're hurting, I should be hurting, too. We need to send a support gift to assist the relief efforts for all the Christians in Manipur. And we need to do it soon. Can you make a generous gift right now to help us do that? Call us today at 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. Fair enough. There was a time earlier in our conversation, John, where you mentioned the gruesome killing of a young man named David, one of your own tribe members. Mm-hmm. I didn't interrupt there because what, what do you have to say? I mean, I don't even know what to ask in response to that, but I don't want our listeners out there to forget that you are seeing the atrocities, the literal murder and dismemberment of Christians 
in their own tribal territories for no other reason than this kind of envy and hate mm. that you've seen being enculturated into the Meitei people at this point. And this is happening to Christians around the world. We hear those stories, we travel together to hear what has the church gone through when they just try to live their lives peaceably. Things as absurd and as obscene as what you described happening to David is happening to believers around the world every day. It is glib almost for us to say, well, that's just the price of obedience. The church has got to go through suffering. I'm not suffering. So me to say that would be something completely insensitive. I don't want to be ever known as someone who really doesn't really care or care to really know or care to enter into someone else's suffering. If I'm going to enter into that kind of suffering, that means I'm going all the way in. Your people that have helped you spread the word of God around the world and bring new translations to new tribes all over the planet, they have entered into those kind of sufferings and share that grief with people all across this planet. And at the same time, share the joy of God unleashing his people to do great work and see transformation happen. It is such a, almost an oxymoron. At any rate, it's a paradox. How can you live with that tension between such horrors and such joys happening all at the same time? Is there an answer to that? I don't know, but I, I saw some video just this morning of some of the boys on the front line, the village defense forces, and they were singing hymns mm. right in the face of the enemy. And it was just amazing that they had that, that comfort, that peace inside them. Seeing them gathering together for prayer, each group, even my own cousins are on these rotations now to go out and, okay, I'm, I'm on duty for the next 12 hours, and they're shuttling in and out, and it's like they all gather for prayer, and then they take their positions. And so some of these videos are finally leaking out to us, trickling out to us, and seeing what they're really facing there. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, and we just continue to pray, you know. We know that there's evil behind this. We know it's the evil one, and we know he's the father of lies, and we know that, you know, eventually God's truth will shine forth. And, you know, we've seen things where, you know, God has just answered these prayers. And so these forces will come and attack a village, and everybody will take shelter in the canals. And they'll be peeking up over the top, and, and these forces are shooting at the wrong mountain, in the wrong direction. And God is, can confound and confuse them, you know, just like he did in, in protecting the Israelites. And we're seeing this type of thing happening and we know that we're outnumbered. Our people, the tribals, are, you know, it's like by firepower. It's like, it's not, it's a joke, you know, how much firepower they're coming at us with. But, you know, we just pray that uh, they will be trapped up in their lives. They will be confused. I mean, we've read, you know, so many times in, through the Old Testament how enemies of Israelites were confused, confounded, even shooting each other, things like that. I mean, killing each other. They didn't shoot in those days, but, you know. Shot arrows. <laughs> so that's just what we keep praying, that, you know, that the Almighty God will continue to protect his people. We've got the luxury in the West of reading these scriptures when God says so emphatically so many times, the battle belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Don't fight my battles for me. I mean, he says that time after time. And we have the luxury of considering that to be a metaphor as if it's something about our internal struggles with this sin or whatever else, and let God do that work in you. No, those scriptures were written in the middle of literal battles. And you're watching this happen now, that God is fighting that same way by confounding the enemy. Mm -hmm. And 
if God can get in the middle in between those who suffer and are oppressed and those who are firing and redirect the bullets somewhere else, can even confuse the demons themselves that are driving the violence so that they don't even know where they're looking. And he did that thousands of years ago. Why can't he do it today? Well, the answer is he is doing that today. He is, he is. So I don't have any problem at all asking people to pray for that kind of spiritual force at work to misguide, misdirect the enemy mm-hmm. and to give discernment and wisdom to those who are of the kingdom so that they don't get misled into a false narrative of the kind of retribution that they deserve to be able to meet out on their enemies. Because we know in the kingdom of Christ that he's already taken that pain And he's supposed to be taking that away from the world. He doesn't want us to join in and become more of the oppressors. Or to live out the Old Testament with eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus already took that hit. Hmm. So the kind of power that we have is to see an overwhelming love that can transform any person. No matter how deluded or misled they may have been before, every soul has a chance to respond to the gospel. As long as the gospel is there to be responded to. The greatest weapon you got, John, is that you have people well-armed with the Word of God, in hand, in heart, and in mind. And they're praying it. On the front lines, they're singing hymns. And that's where I think we need to be reminding ourselves that we pray for the worldwide battle against real faith. That right now is showing up in your backyard, in your own hometown. Our people in Compassion Radio can pray for you. And they can pray for Bibles for the World and for the believers in the hill tribes all around Manipur. We can do that. At least that. last question I want to ask you, John, is about leading an organization like this. You have been your whole life just steeped in the story of God's redemption of your people and of your own family. And you have now stepped into the leadership role after your dad has passed away and your mother's been incapacitated, can't be involved with ministry anymore. It's a generational shift for you, but it's still been a very indigenous ministry that's operating in America. You're one of the very few ministries that has this kind of world scope that is literally indigenously led and guided spiritually by people who did not grow up anywhere near a American or a Western culture. And yet you got the benefits of both. You are as American as anybody else I know. At the same time, your heart and soul and your friendships and your deepest relationships are still back there in India, and they're at risk. How does this organization, the Bibles for the World, respond to that kind of leadership coming from what we would consider the front lines or the overseas part of ministry? It is rare. Mm-hmm. So how, how do they respond to that reality that they're being led into the spiritual battle by somebody who grew up where the front line is? I think, you know, God has given us an incredible team here to work together as well as wonderful partners and those who really understand that, who have kind of gotten beyond that and can understand even in some recent mission conferences there's a talk about what is the global south Mm -hmm. is going to be sending more missionaries and behind more of the world evangelism in the coming years ahead seeing missionaries coming out of central and south america coming out of africa coming out of other countries coming out of india to reach other parts of the world so i think that you know, I'm blessed to be, in a sense, on the forefront of that, following in the footsteps of my father's leadership. Mm-hmm. We were, at the time of the formation of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, we were the only non-Western-led ministry mm-hmm. that was made a charter member. So mom and dad have been there from the forefront, blazing what is essentially new ground, but it's really a model for the future. 
And as we go out, that's with those eyes that I go out, and we have to recognize each of these countries has that potential for leadership, has that potential to be transformed, to grow, develop its own leaders, and those leaders are going to do something even greater than what God has done among our people. I've talked about it. Now I see that our people, my legacy that I now carry, we're just one chapter in God's story. And as we go out and plant God's word, if you know, you and I have done, Bram, in remote areas of China, mm-hmm. different parts of the world, Vietnam, and just in recent Mongolia, Nepal, different parts of Africa and Central America, in my heart is always there. I just want to plant one more seed and see what God's going to do. What is the story he's going to write from this? A new chapter in his story People will come out of these places doing even more than what God has allowed our tribe and our family to do. I can imagine the response of the disciples when Jesus says to them before he has ascended, you will do greater things than I could ever imagine myself doing. You will be that. And when God himself is saying to you, you will exceed even me because my spirit will be among you. That must have sounded like, has he lost his mind again? (laughs) He's 12, he's 11. We were the guys that served at the table. And he's saying, waiters, go out there and lead the world. And yet he did that very thing. He multiplied himself in unimaginable ways at the time. And now we have a worldwide movement and a kingdom that has never stopped since the time of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's not about to now. So I guess my question is a part B to this. While you're absorbed with all of the anguish of your people being persecuted so directly right now, you still have a worldwide mandate to get out there and continue bringing the Word of God to many countries. Are you able to keep up with that? Are you able to focus on the things that God has put before you that's not just about your tribe and your part of India? How are you dealing with those obligations? Well, fortunately, God has given us, as I mentioned, the partnerships around the world. So even in the midst of this, I've actually taken a trip to Mongolia, been with our partners there. We've taken the gospel into some amazingly remote places there. We've seen the body of Christ in one city, one town, really, grow by 55% in one day. We've seen it in five days later in, in a nearby town, 86% growth in one day. It was That happened to be the week leading up to Pentecost. Mm. I just felt like I was in a Pentecost moment, that whole week seeing on the day of Pentecost, thousands were added to that number. And that was exactly what type of thing that we were experiencing. We've got projects developing in Kenya with our partners who are going in there and Vietnam, where we were together last year and we'll be going back in there. Some really amazing things developing as I've been pushing our partners to consider not just the main Vietnamese populations, but those ethnic minorities, the hill tribes, again, of Vietnam. And so we've got some things developing there. So by God's grace, we've got a lot of plates spinning, but God continues to give us the strength, the grace, the wisdom to continue pushing ahead. And uh, certainly there are times that I've been just totally enveloped in the distress, the grief of what's going on in my home state in India. But by God's grace, we can keep focusing on, on the worldwide mandate that he's given us as well. Well, it's our job to help lift the arms when they get weak. And if we have to be the errand for you, You have been a Moses in a lot of ways, John, in this generation to pursue a vision and actually walk the walk. It's not that Moses told people, go get the promised land. Mm -hmm. He literally walked in front of them the whole way. And you're doing the same thing in this generation. You are walking into new places, opening doors as God gives you the right to stand before kings and principalities and countries that no one else has been able to approach. But your story itself has such gravitas 
and your history and the transformation story of your people is so visual and visceral that you can't escape the power of it. So when people hear that story, they're moved. Whether it's communist authorities in the west part of the country we sat down for dinner with and are astounded that the grandson of a headhunter would be standing in front of them saying, Jesus has given me peace in my heart and I'm here to bring it to you. People, they can't sit in the presence of that and not be transformed somehow. And I must say that as I reflect on that, that's really what empowers me because God has brought my people, starting from my grandfather, this far out of savage, headhunting, animistic ways to this point. It gives me this boldness that if somebody says, hey, that country can't be reached with the gospel or the doors are closed there, that's what gets me excited because I know God's power brought us this far. Let's take a crack at it. Let's see what he can do here. Let's get into these countries that we consider that are traditionally communist, China, Vietnam, places like that. I mean, I got Laos on my radar right now, you know. (laughs) And we're going to see, you know, bathing all of these ventures in a lot of prayer. And that's what we really need listeners, people out there to just continue to lift us up in prayer because we'll step forward boldly. We need that prayer support. We need to marshal all the angels to protect us at times. And we know that God will send them. I trust he will too. Thank you, John, again so much for this update. And let's get together again soon. Thank you, Bram. Always a pleasure. My thanks again to John Podiatic at Bibles for the World. You can help us right now help them with your gift today. Here's how. We need to send a support gift to assist the relief efforts for all the Christians in Manipur, and we need to do it soon. Can you make a generous gift right now to help us do that? Call us today at one 800 868 And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com.